0: Welcome to Questioning Your Answers podcast,
1: where we explore beauty and transform our narratives. I'm so excited about today's topic. We're going to be speaking about different perspectives on time, what is time, how time is related uh, to God, and why that matters to our lives. And um, I want to welcome Dr. Ryan Mullins. Welcome, Ryan.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Ryan uh, has authored a number of books, um, one of them being called The End of a Timeless God. I've also uh, read your article on The Divine Watchmaker, which I think might be becoming a book as well soon. So, um, Ryan, it seems that your You have a real interest in in time, in God, in God's relationship with time. Why does that matter to ordinary believers? What what does it have to do with our lives?
0: Yeah. So this is a question that bothered me when I was when I was when I was much younger because time is this it's this like all pervasive thing, mm-hmm. like we are temporal beings and every conscious moment of our existence we are experiencing the passage of time. We are experiencing things passing and ceasing to be. We're experiencing things coming to be. And so I'm like, okay, well, what is this all pervasive thing that's always around me that's dominating my life? Like, what is the stuff that is time? Uh, and so Saint Augustine asked that question. He's like, well, what is time? And he's like well, I know exactly what it is until someone asks me, then then I don't know anymore. Mm. And I'm like, okay. So it's like this very familiar stranger. Like it, it seems like you know what it is because it's all around you all the time, but you just can't seem to really get a good cognitive grasp on it. Mm. Like really get a handle on what exactly is this? And that really bothered me. And so that's why I was sort of doing philosophy of time. And then- when I started looking at philosophy times it turns out, well, they're not really interested in that question either. Hmm. And then I started asking some physicists and they weren't interested in that question either. They're like, we don't know. We don't, we don't have a clue. And I'm like, no, this is not acceptable. We need to, I need to know this. Uh, so cause I was like this, again, this thing, that's all pervasive force that's in your experience, in your daily life, every single moment of your existence. What is that? It is. Uh, and so I just felt like I needed to know. And then when I think about God, I'm like, well, okay, so God's supposed to be like solely responsible for the existence of absolutely everything other than himself and i'm like okay well time is he responsible for the existence of time what would that mean uh what does that look like he's the lord of time he's governing over history um oh it seems like all this time stuff keeps popping up and he's supposed to give me everlasting life a life that has no end in time yeah oh okay well it's okay it seems like this is a major biblical theme what is it what's going on so that's those are the things that kind of grabbed me and grabbed my attention that made me go this seems like this matters to our faith
1: Yes, I, I love the title of your book, The End of a Timeless God, that that obviously um, kind of uh, pricks the attention of many of the f- philosophers of theology, we, which often begin with a conception of timelessness, um, eternity being timeless, that that kind of uh, uh, starting assumptions. Um but as you say, you know, our experience day by day is, is an experience in which things continually move, continually flows, continually change. And when we actually start thinking about what do we mean by timeless, um, it's actually much more difficult to nail that down, or we can do it theoretically, but it's to give an example, we we travel a lot, speak to different groups, and I hear the word "timeless" popping up often. People have a mystical experience, and they would say it is timeless. It was like time stopped existing. But when I prompt it a bit further, and I say, "What do you mean by that?" Was it? Um, did all movement stop? No, no, there was movement. Did all relationships stop? No, no, there was there was this beautiful relationship. And so <laughs> I think the popular use within Christian communities of the word timeless is more something that resembles an experience that is not your normal experience of time. It's a very different experience of time. But technically, that's not timeless, you know. If there's still movement, right. if there's still any kind of thought progression, any experience, any awareness that progresses, that would still be time. Mm-hmm.
0: Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think what I think what's going on is, is a lot of theologians have done a disservice to the church by throwing around terms like timelessness and not defining them. And so that's why I was at such pains to really dig deep into the tradition in the end of the timeless God and go, here's the definition. Here's what we've meant to get clear on this. Uh, And So what it means is you're an eternal being if you exist without beginning and without end. Mm -hmm. But you are a timeless being if you exist without succession or change. So you don't do one thing and then another. You don't have a before and an after. And then you don't have temporal location. So you don't exist now. Mm. uh and then you don't have temporal ex- extension which means like you don't persist you don't go from one moment to the next to the next yes, yes. and so then we talk about these ex- these like, religious experiences well you could easily be like so that that religious experience you had had a beginning mm. and then a bunch of stuff happened in the middle yes. and then it ended and so you're like that's didn't do a very good job of being timeless did you right. uh, because it had this succession it has this change it has all the stuff happening you know yeah and you don't have that with timelessness.
1: absolutely and so that's a very good distinction between um, eternity and timelessness. There's a way for us to understand eternity without having to immediately think of timelessness. And mm-hmm. so again, the that brings it down to, I think, the, the very focus of the Scriptures and the very essence of our experience of relationship with God is something that happens within time. It's dynamic. Uh, It's a movement, a relational movement. Um, And consequently, if we think of relationship with God, relationship is a movement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so interestingly, many of the, um, you know, those who approach Scripture from a a specific philosophical point of view not only defines God as timeless, but also from God's point of view, they say there's no real relationship, that, that we kind of experience relationship. But actually, it's God just kind of being patronizing, um, because from, from his point of view, there's no experience of mm-hmm. relationship that is kind of just descending to the level of ignorant little kiddies and giving them an experience that's not real, because we experience God, but God does not have a succession of experience from us, from that perspective. But I think the scripture has got quite a different perspective on, <laughs> on God's experience mm-hmm. of time. Yeah.
0: Huh? Yes, it does. And what's interesting is the classical tradition admits that, too. Like, they're really clear that they actually have this this question they ask repeatedly, which is, why does God describe himself in the exact opposite way of what he is? Why does he describe himself in temporal terms? Yes. Why does he describe himself as having empathy when we know he doesn't have empathy? Why does he describe himself as, you know, And you on and on you go? So, yeah, this is a very, very standard question in, in theology historically.
1: And maybe we need to adjust what we know to the way... God actually revealed himself. I think that's Might be nice. I don't know.
0: It <laughs> depends if you're interested in that sort of thing, I guess.
1: So um, one of the most important events in which God reveals himself, um, Exodus 3, you know, for the, uh, um, for the first time, Moses experiences God as Y-H-V-H, God reveals his name. And, and the base letters that is used within that name... In the scripture just before then, where he says, who are you? We've translated it, I am that I am. And again, uh, that's the translation. And then some have interpreted that idea of I am that I am as this timeless existence, this God that has no temporal experience. He just is, existence itself. But I've heard you offer an alternative um, interpretation of that text and would love to hear that again.
0: Yeah. So let me just open the passage here. And then before I say that, let me say something about this. Um, So when you're looking at proof texts for divine timelessness, Mm. it's really odd game you're playing because every single... uh, passage that you would use for a proof text for timelessness yes. explicitly describes God in temporal terms. Yes. And this is because all the biblical terms for, for eternity are temporal terms. Mm-hmm. So the biblical scholar, George Ladd, he puts this very succinctly. He says, biblically speaking, eternity just is unending time. So you don't see timelessness in the Bible at all. And so anybody appealing to like Exodus 3, 14, or any other passage is a bit weird because you're like, well, those are temporal descriptions. Why would that Get me to a timeless God. So so let's let's look, look at this passage here. So you have what you've got is this Moses in this with uh, in the burning bush, you know, he's looking at the burning bush, and God's saying, Moses, I want you to go do this whole Exodus thing. Go talk to the people of Israel and tell them I'm gonna free them from captivity. And Moses is like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this, like it's kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And God's like, No, 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 do this. And Moses is like, All right, all right, okay. Well, if I if I am if gonna do this, who am I gonna say, send me? Who, who am I gonna tell by? Whose authority? Give me a name here. And God says, well, okay, we'll go tell them. Uh, my name is, I am who I am. Say this, people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And what a lot of Old Testament scholars will point out, that what they'll say is this passage is not, is not really I am. It's, it's better translated as I will be who I will be. Hmm. And so this is, you see this like in Walter Brueggemann and Terence Fretheim and so many others, they'll say, I, I will be who I will be. Mm-hmm. And here's the idea. You want to know who I am? You want to know like what kind of God I am? take a look about what what I'm about to do. You know, that's who I am. you're like, Oh, okay. And so what uh, Andre Blasher points out is look, this is a God with a, with a future. Okay. That doesn't sound like a timeless God. Mm -hmm. And then when you carry on in the the very next verse. um, So after, after he says, say, I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather all the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what you've gone through. Uh, to, and I've been with you in Egypt. And I promise that it will bring you out of the affliction that the Egypt's. Uh, so like what you've got twice here, twice here, God says, my name is I'm the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes. That is a God with a history, with a past. You want to know who I am? look what I did in the past. I was with your fathers then. You want to know who I am? I'm going to be who I will be. Look and see what I'm about to do in the future. So a God with a past, a present, and a future, it's not a timeless God. That's a temporal God.
1: Much more relevant to the way we live. A God that's actually involved in our history, a God that's involved in our future, and the God that's moved by what he sees. I love it. You know, mm-hmm. I saw what's happening here and that's why I'm talking to you, Moses. I want, in partnership with you, I want to change some of these things. Now, I guess that brings up some other philosophical and theological aspects that I find very exciting. If, if change, and maybe let me first of all give just my understanding of what time is, and please feel free to correct, disagree, whatever. Um, So, if we really boil down to what time is, I think the simplest definition would be change. Um, Anything that Moves anything that changes now. In many of the philosophical and books I've read, they often limit change to the physical, but I want to maybe throw into that metaphysical change. So a thought, a, a flow of consciousness, there's a change in that, and and so maybe time as a some kind of dimensional material by itself. Maybe that doesn't exist. Maybe time is just the abstraction, a way in which we describe the changing relationships that we experience. And I think that would even be in, you know, in line with the scientific ideas. Even, you know, Einstein trying to work out how this relativity and speed and all of these relate to one another. It's the relationship that is then called time. Would that be... A similar view from your point of view
0: no so this is called the relational theory of time um Mm. i think it encounters a very serious problem that's actually been known since the time of aristotle uh Mm. and so so here's the claim is that what time is is the more fundamental thing is there are events Mm. Uh, and so events um describe or make that's a relationship between events is what time Mm. is so Mm. time is just simply a relationship between events Yes. Um, and so because uh, events changing, um, yeah. that's what creates a before and after. And so you're like, oh, cool. Sounds like, okay, I've got time coming into the story. But here's the problem is, uh, so when you ask people what an event is, um, they start sneaking in time into the, into the definition of an event. And you're like, now the relational theory says events are the fundamental features of the world. Mm-hmm. Events explain where time comes from. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay, now what is an event? And like, well, an event is... Like a when something happens, it's, it's 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 something happening at a time, and you're like, mm. you're supposed to tell me where time comes from, and you've already presupposed time in there, and it's that's it's a circular sort of thing. That's that's not that's yeah. not okay. So what I I prefer what's mm. called the absolute theory of time, yes. um, which is time is this uh, like eternal uncaused substance yes. that has several different roles. It is responsible for how change is possible. It's the thing that makes change possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the thing that's the source of moments of time or events. And it's the thing that unifies a series of moments into what you might call like a timeline. Um, So it makes the, like a coherent, like story, like a particular like story of the world. And I want to go one step further um, and say that, well, God is that like, that's like, time is an aspect of God. So time is the, the, that's eternal uncaused substance is the thing that makes change possible. It's the thing that, you know, unifies a series of moments uh, so, and you can see people like Isaac Newton in the in the Western tradition affirm this view, and then in um, like Eastern philosophy, you can find uh, people like Raghunath Shyamani uh, affirming this view. So, yeah. I'm taking a slightly more radical view, but it's making time an aspect of God. So, you've really got God, yes. um, you know, explaining the, the entire temporal reality we see, just um, yeah. part of its part of his nature.
1: So, if I, um, I'm just thinking out loud here with you. So. Mm-hmm if I had to address that um, perceived um, inadequacy with how the event is described, if Mm -hmm. I can describe an event as just this continual flow of relational movements, I don't have to refer to a, a time or another dimension or another substance besides the movement and the flow of relationship. Um, But that is maybe what you are thinking in terms of absolute time as well. I am not sure. My, My understanding of relationship is this continual movement in which relationships dynamically change. And it is the change that then gives birth to time. But, you know, hey, maybe you can think of that relationship as, in another aspect, the Trinity, the the idea that God, in essence, is a relational movement mm-hmm. and is, a, therefore, the source of what we would call time or change. The, uh, do you want to comment on that? or?
0: there are various people who do try to make this, this move. Um, What I'm doing is I'm saying time is actually more fundamental than that because time is supposed to be the thing that explains how change is even possible. Mm. And so how can you have because change? Like, okay. So a moment of time is, is the way things are, but could be subsequently otherwise. Mm. And so when you get the next moment, you have a change or whatever, Oh, what's going on. Well, things are different. They're, They're different than the way they were before. So, you change takes place over a series of moments. Uh, and so you need something that actually explains what's the thing that unifies that change? Uh, yeah. What's the thing that underlies that? What's what makes yeah. those moments possible? Okay. And so, so that's where I want to be like, Time so it's is the
1: relationship doing between possibility and actuality as well
0: Yes all of this and so I want to say time is the thing doing all of that yeah uh, and if I make yeah. time an aspect of God like part of God's nature then I'm like well God's the thing that explains all of this He's explaining what's actual what's possible mm-hmm. He's the very ground of all relationships He's the ground of all uh, of all like your experiences and so yes. so yeah so you got this really deep nice tight picture of how God and mm-hmm. time like are. Interacting uh, together, so it's yeah, it's it's a.
1: I want to prompt you because at the moment I am, you know, convinced of this relational view of time. Mm-hmm. So I saw in your Divine Watchmaker book the, you know, another idea that God is the possibility of time. I, I love that word, because, you know, possibility is one of those words that totally resonate with me when I think of God, it's possibility. Um, But then, you know, the objection that you mentioned in terms of those who speak about relationship always have to refer back to time. In my own thinking, I don't do that. I just see the movement of relationship. Um, And I see that movement of relationship within the divine essence as well. You know, however we think about Trinity, I think it's just another way of saying God is relational movement. Um, Why is it necessary for God to produce something else called time if that mm-hmm. relational movement itself is
0: time. Well, so on my view, God's not producing time. Like God just is time. So okay. what, what I would be claiming is that God or time itself is what's more fundamental and that's what's explaining or producing mm-hmm. the changes, the movements, the relationships. Yes. You couldn't have that without time. Yes. Um, and so the time, which I want to say is just like a divine attribute, like that's what's more fundamental. So that's an essential fundamental feature of reality, yeah. and that's what explains all the phenomena. So all the things yeah. I want to talk about. If I want to say, well, there's movement, and I'm like, well, how do you get that? Well, there's all this changes, all these relationships. Well, what makes that possible? I and mean, I'm like, God, God does. Time does. So it's 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 really it's it's making uh, God and, and time the fundamental thing in reality.
1: Okay.
0: Um, yeah. And then there's then I think if I just described the world in terms of change and movement and relations Mm -hmm. that still wouldn't capture all of what you might call like the temporal landscape. There's like a few other things I want to capture, like, like something when I talk about history, when I talk about the future, when I talk about what's happening now, um, when did something happen? When did God do that? When did, you know, when, what were you doing the other day? Those are all like temporal phenomena that I need to capture. And if I just describe things in terms of events and movements, Mm -hmm. well, I haven't captured the, when did that happen? Uh, question. And I need an answer to that because if I want to talk about, well, when did Christ suffer on the cross? Yeah. Those are, these are all temporal questions that I need answers yeah. to. And so I need, I need more, there's more phenomena to capture yeah. that I don't think I could capture simply in terms yeah. of relationships and movement.
1: So this might be interesting to you or not, because I'm just kind of mm-hmm. observing what's happening in my mind as you're talking. <laughs> yeah. And um I'm thinking, so, I can absolutely agree with that idea that time is an attribute of God. And I agree with it because I think I can say relationship is an attribute of, of God. And then…
0: Yeah, if you believe in the Trinity,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so again, for me, the relational movements and time becomes equated as, uh, as an attribute of God. Um, Then I'm thinking about how do I describe when. And again, I can think of any when as a specific configuration of relationships. Mm
0: -hmm. That
1: in every movement, every moment by moment, the whole universe has got the configuration of relationships. And even if I think of Before, if there was a before, if it's not a continual, you know, inflation and deflation of universes, if there was a a time (laughs) where God was without um, creation, I can think of that even as timeful because I can think of God having a succession of thoughts, having a, a, a stream of consciousness, some form of consciousness. So yeah, those are just things that are, you know that I'm thinking of. That I try to work out as I read read the Divine Watchmaker, which I found inspiring and beautiful, by the way. But that's the part that I I was saying. Yeah, I need to talk a bit further and think a bit further. Yeah. Oh yeah, me so, too. Let, I don't know. let me throw take that further. Then in the context of I will be. I mm-hmm. will be a God who's actually involved in time a source of time, but I think the 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 beautiful aspect that this brings out is a god who has in a sense unfulfilled potentialities mm-hmm. a god who um has possibilities of being, possibilities of experience, possibilities of action that is unfulfilled. Now, obviously, for some philosophical schools, that's unacceptable because the idea of perfection is that all possibilities must be fulfilled already. But um, again, I know uh, you'd probably agree with that. Just like beauty is something actual that, you know, certain events, certain forms come together and something beautiful occurs, I can see an amazing sunset. But that, no matter how beautiful a sunset is, it never captures all that beauty is. Tomorrow there's another beautiful sunset. now I think the same thing can be said about perfection. Perfection is not a state that you arrive at. It is Um, it is the best that is possible in this moment, you know. that, That is perfection, and there might be greater perfections. And so the idea that I want to throw out here, what makes this relationship between us and God so incredibly beautiful if God is involved in time, is that he can participate in my experience, that he is truly... Affected by my experience, and this makes this relationship so much more real than a distant God just observing uh, things happening. How would you see God's unfulfilled potential and, and time interacting?
0: I see it in a similar way to you. So when I think about God existing prior to the universe, Mm -hmm. it seems to me that God has an, like an infinite range of possibilities, like what things could he do? And well, you can't do all of those things um, because they're not all, they don't all work together. You can't do them all at the same time. Uh, Well, if God's got free will, he could be like, okay, I want to come up with a plan of how I want these things to unfold uh, and how I want them to go. And so I, you know, bring about the next moment and the next moment. And, and from there he starts unpacking his plan and part of his plan is, seems to me, is to engage in some kind of meaningful relationship with free creatures. Yeah. What exactly are they going to do? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Maybe, maybe God knows, maybe doesn't. Uh, maybe he's got a really good guess about what they're going to do. Um, there's a couple of ways you could go on that. But what you have is a really genuine interaction, yeah. um, an interaction that takes place from moment to moment, which is how um, relationships actually evolve. Yeah. If you really want to enter into a meaningful relationship with someone, it doesn't happen all at once. Mm-hmm. You have to like slowly come to get to know them more and more That's what you see in the Bible. Um, God coming to know revealed more and more to his creatures and they're coming into a deeper understanding of him. And it's what you experience in your own daily prayer life. It's what you experience in your own relationships with others. And so I want to say, yeah, the same things go on there with God. Yeah. Yeah. So him not him having lots of potential to do lots of things. I want to say that's just part of what it means to be omnipotent and part of what it means to be free. Omnipotence, omnipotency. You've got the potential to perform you know the maximal range of, like, of actions, mm-hmm. and if you're free, you could do that or that, you know, you've got options. And mm-hmm. so, I want to say this is, this is part of what it means to be free, and then God's like, Hey, I want to give some of that freedom to you, I want you to have freedom as well, so we can have a genuine, loving relationship. Yeah, yeah, it, I think it just makes sense of our spiritual practice, yeah. I think it just makes sense of, of what yes, we read in the Bible.
1: Suddenly, suddenly, you can see your own existence as part of one of those potentialities in God that. But- that was unfulfilled before your existence. Uh, And Mm -hmm. here you are. The the whole idea of the Word becoming flesh, that the potentialities within the logic and the mind of God finds actuality in us and that, you know, incarnation in that sense doesn't just refer to one event 2,000 years ago when, when Jesus appeared, but rather that Jesus unveiled a process that is still ongoing, Uh, Mm -hmm. and he might be the culmination or he might be the crescendo of that process up until that stage, but he unveils that all of creation (laughs) is this movement from the potentialities in the mind of God to, to the extent that we participate with God. It becomes actual in your life, in your existence. I'm trying to also continue on that theme of "I am" because that reminds me of John eight, where um, where Jesus says, "Before Abraham was, I am." Have you got any insights on that,
0: yeah. So there's a bunch of passages like this where Jesus affirms his pre existence, yeah. and like that's. That's kind of that's kind of wild if you're if you're thinking like this is just some human guy, because the idea that he like, pre-existed, like Abraham, you're like, Well, Abraham, like that was that was that was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You yeah. no, 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 you can't be like, well, then everybody says this I am statement. So you're like, oh, you're kind of equating yourself with God. That that that's that's naughty. That that sounds kind of kind of radical. Yeah. Um, well, it is a radical statement. Um, you do have Jesus saying, like, yeah, yeah, I'm divine. What do you want? Um, you know, like before all this stuff was. I, you know, I was, I was. Uh, and then he even like praise to the father saying, you know, God, father, I want you like all these people to have their loving relationship that we had before all of this happened. Yeah. And so it's like, Ooh, okay. So this is Jesus putting himself in a divine status, yeah. um, which is radical and pretty, it's pretty astounding. It's, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. Um I saw in, in one of your, uh, uh, um, I think it's on your website, but you, d- you did some lectures at the Notre Dame and those things. Uh, so I wanted to throw out a cheeky little question. And th- that is, we are you are going to help David Bentley Hart to understand um, <laughs> the philo- philosophical approaches to time a bit better? I would love to see a debate between uh, the two of you. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's very <laughs> much, you know, yeah. um, uh, eternal changelessness views. I love a lot that he says. I'm sure you do as well. Yeah. But that's the one part that I just can't figure out why he's still stuck in in that uh, kind of philosophy on time.
0: I I, I don't know. He has a, a very high view of tradition that I no longer have. I, I want to say I have a high view of tradition in the sense of these are men and women who are thinking very hard about the faith and I want to take that seriously, but I don't take them to be like these infallible sources. Um, I'm not certain he takes them to be infallible sources because he picks and chooses which people he wants to agree with. But at times it seems like that's what's doing the driving work uh, and it's not really the scripture. It's not different experiences we have. It's not looking at some certain kinds of philosophical arguments, um, but he's looking at different kinds of philosophical arguments that he thinks should move you to affirm, say like universal salvation or something. Um, But when it comes to time stuff, I guess I'll say this philosophy time is really, really hard. It's very specialized knowledge. And so when I see lots of theologians uh, and, and even other philosophers not get it right, I'm just like, well, it's to be expected because this is a really hard topic. Yes, so, yes. you know, if I, could, uh, convince, if I could convince David Bentley Hart of uh, Divine Temporality, that would be an amazing day. I, I don't foresee that happening, though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, one can hope. So yeah, uh, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> thank you so much, Ryan, for your time. So appreciate it. Um, I love these themes. Part of what we do on our podcasts is uh, – we bring together philosophers uh, and scientists. We we also had um, Professor John Hort on a while ago uh, speaking about his understanding of time. And I think beautifully what he brings out is the narrative and the story that develops over time, that time is this opportunity for meaning to accumulate. I think what you said in terms of relationship, uh, this is what makes relationship beautiful. You know, there's, you can still surprise me. The meaning can still be added. Um, so thank you so much for, for your insights. And I would highly recommend that people get your, your book and listen to some of your other videos. Um, thank you.
0: Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. And please don't forget to subscribe on our website qyourapodcast.com.